Hey everyone, what's going on? This is Charming for another Econ Hangover podcast. And if you dig the song, it's by DJ Match. He's a local friend of mine here based in Brasilia, Brazil. I'll put his information in the show notes below so you can check it out. His YouTube channel and his SoundCloud. All right, so going to the theme of this episode, uh, it's going to be an interesting episode. It's going to be kind of like a, one of those uh, mini series kind of thing that I do. So if you are uh, new into the Econ podcast, Econ Hangover podcast, I'll explain it briefly for you. Uh, we had this mini series uh, a couple of months ago that I was doing about the history of science. Um, and I was explaining like some of the basic fundamentals of what how science became what it is to be. And I'm doing also now this other series called uh, Basics of Behavioral Finance and Economics. And I'm really glad to start off today because uh, today will be the first episode for this new series. And um, if you're into this topic, what it should it's suppo- you're supposed to be into this uh, this topic because this is pretty much the future of what economics and finance will be in the next couple of years. But since this is an intro episode, I think it's fair for me to go through the a little bit through the history of how economics um, described what its behavior what is rationality, how people behave before we jump into behavioral finance and economics. So first of all, we got to understand that the economic sciences, it's been around for since the 18th century, century formally speaking. I mean, it's always been there with like many thinkers in the old past, um, but it was formally coined in the 18th century from from guys like Adam Smith and David Ricardo and some other guys like uh, Clark, Wicksteed, Wicksteel, uh, Jevons, Menger, and Walrus. Uh, you, don't know, you don't need to memorize these names right now, but um, I really welcome you if you're interested about this topic, about researching some of the words of these guys, because pretty much, uh, I'd say like, around 50% of everything we know from economics are still being made, uh, still being taught from the things that they they gave us in the past. At any rate, um, why the way we think economics became what it is? One of the first things, and the first uh, pivotal theories that shaped the, the way economics is thought, it's uh, what Adam Smith wrote in one of his most famous work, piece of works, which was the Wealth of Nations, if not the famous. I mean, it is the famous, because like, some other people say no, like his best work it was uh, his previous ones, uh, the theory of more sentiments. But um, we, like, I, th- I think like 90% of people just know Adam Smith because of the Wealth of Nations. So uh, pretty much... One of the main ideas that Adam Smith coined in his book was the the relation of the invisible hand, which is a uh, it's pretty much like 
oversimplifying. It's like just letting the markets uh, mind their own business that they're fine their own equilibrium. And this what Adam Smith said back in 1776, it was really um, considered by many of the econ thinkers throughout the years. And Adam Smith, as well as the other thinkers of this period, like the other guys, like I said, Jevons, Menger, and Juarez, they already had like basic understanding of what utility was. If you're not an econ student or economist, I'll explain for you what's utility. Utility, it's basically the way economists use to measure satisfaction. And I'm pretty much known if like if you're if you don't you're not in the science, you might be thinking, how is it possible to to measure satisfaction? Well, this is actually one of the biggest missions that economics have been uh, going through uh, through all these centuries. And one of the things that came out in the 18th century, uh, 18th, like 18th to the 19th century, was the idea of marginal utility, which is pretty much like the variation of, uh, of one unit and the total utility will like, uh, it will change the overall satisfaction of a uh, of a consumer. So it would be basically be everything that's marginal, it, it, it comes out like in a big scale. So for example, let's suppose that you buy like a lot of pizza because you're really hungry. And if you keep buying pizza uh, until you get full, will the next, the, the next piece make you feel fuller? So it will change your com complete um, approach to having the last slice of pizza. And this idea of marginality, it comes a little bit from uh, statistics. For example, if we're in a room um, and trying to get like the average weight of like a group of students, and let's say that these group of students, they kind of have the same or very similar kind of body types. And out of nowhere comes the student that he's either very tall or he's very, he's very, very heavy, and his weight will change the entire average. So he was the unit, the marginal unit that came down and changed the entire structure of the class. So um, hopefully you understood what marginal utility mean in, in, a, in a really gross manner. <laughs> But uh, most this this idea of, of marginality that, that came from statistics and math really uh, pitched the the interest of these economists back then or econ thinkers because uh, back then it didn't have like an idea of what an economist was it was not yet formally uh, coined but. It was until like around the 19th century, uh, around like the mid uh, 1800s, guys like Cournot and Marshall and Walrus, they come down with like some ideas of general equilibrium uh, on price, how price can affect quantity, and how econ agents they will always try to 
to um, optimize their budget constraints in order to have the best possible combination of goods. Um, this was post uh, later through some years, some economists like Hal Samuelson, they used math to formalize this, but these guys were already talking about that. And it was around this time with like the influence of some of these guys that in the beginning of the 20th century and um, in like the end of the 19th and the beginning of the 20th century, econ thinkers started thinking about the concept, the concept of utility as something formal, as something that can be interpreted through uh, rational behavior, through um, a series of uh, computa computable actions, and obviously something that could be mapped through mathematics. So this is when it started to come out, the idea of rationality on economics in a formal term. And in a way, if we, if we look back, at least in my opinion, when we look back at this, it, it was kind of funny because like, it was just like these guys were thinking about um, analyzing human beings and human behavior as you would do in a philosophical manner that they call mechanicism, like evaluating human beings as machines. We have to understand that back in the 19th, beginning of 20th century, especially the 18th century, way back, uh, machines were still really archaic. They were really, the technology wasn't as, as advanced as we have nowadays. And nowadays you can have like an engineer looking through the whole process and circuits and the systems of how machines work. But back in the days, machines were more like tools. So who really participated in production and consumption and the main um, parts of the economy were actually people. So it is understandable that they had this formal attempt of measuring and mapping human behavior through formalized structures. So that's when many economists around this time they came down with the concept of rationality. They wanted like a benchmark and uh, a framework to try to understand human behavior. Like, and it's just crazy to think that like they had this or they still have this whole concept of like how you can have uh, determined patterns of how agents act. And that's when it came also, also the, the idea of rationality because human beings are really um, unpredictable. So, and kind of like just cutting it short, the unpredictability of human beings, economists at that time, that time they said, hey, these guys are rational, so they're just, they'll just act in behalf of their own uh, interests and to optimize their own utility. So the other things that they do, we don't consider because that's beyond the, the spectrum of economics. So we're just trying to see uh, what they do to, to, you know, maximize their satisfaction and their needs. But yeah, it was around the World War II, after World War II, that this whole idea of econ equilibrium and rationality started to really kick off. And also with like one of the most influential economists of the 20th century, if not the, the, the most influential economists of the 20th century, 
some people argue that, but I think that at least in an academic scale, if you study economics, um, big chunk of what you study was based on this guy, which is Paul Samuelson. After World War II, he started really messing up with this idea of rationality, with this idea of equilibrium, and this entire mathematical uh, specter that everything in economics can be measured, quantified, and calculated by uh, rigorous math, like you would do, for example, in physics. Obviously, this was already pitched in the past with Alfred Marshall, who is considered like the economist that opened up the Pandora's box for, for math and economics. But I actually think in modern terms, Paul Samuelson um, influence was even more um, like deeper than it was from Alfred Mount Marshall because Paul Samuelson, he took the time to really frame down uh, behavioral patterns of agents in the in both in the micro and the macro scale to to try to create a uh, a computerized system on how agents will act. So it was around this time with the whole uh, you know like the whole Pal Samuelson thing that you know all the ideas of rationality started really kick off. Another part that came out after this, it was around uh, the theory, the game theory thing. If you already watched uh, that movie of Russell Crowe, Brilliant Mind, you know who I'm talking about, John Ash. But it's kind of funny because like uh, John Ash, yes, he was one of the guys that really contributed to the, um, to the whole um, evolution of game theory. But some other guys are already messing up with this, like Morgan Stern and Von Neumann. Uh, they're already using the game theory um, framework to try to um, to design some of the the behavior patterns that economic agents uh, participate in negotiations and wants and needs. So it was you just you just get the entire picture. So we get down from this 18th, 19th, uh, 19th century. Uh, economists trying to understand what human beings do, the whole idea, the whole concept of, of utility comes down. But it instead, but then things started getting too <laughs> too subjective. And at some point in time, around the 19th, 20th century, these same uh, some of these economists they they thought about let's formalize this, let's let's quantify this, let's create metrics to. Uh, formalized utility so they do and then it comes right after guys like Marshall and uh, post after some years actually some like a century or so it comes Paul Samuelson and he uses some rigorous mathematical background to uh, strengthen this this idea this entire concept of rationality and utility which has been stuck since today but the thing is that although it has been stuck, we always notice that like everything that it seems that is axiomatic or is like set in stone, it always has its own disturbances and and uh, limitations. And by the own discourse of economics, that they kind of like ignore some of the things that cannot be controlled, even the economists 
started to questioning this kind of mentality, me included. Uh, but it was really formalized as the limitations of these uh, frameworks with guys like Gary Backer, Herbert Simon, uh, Tversky, Daniel Kamen, and later with some guys that we've seen winning like uh, Nobel Prizes like Robert Schiller and uh, Richard Thaler. But it was really these guys like Backer, Simon, Tversky, Kamen, that they came down with the most, uh, like the foundation of behavioral economics and behavioral finance. Um, the interesting thing is that uh, Gary Becker said something that was so obvious that <laughs> it seems kind of odd, like how, how, how nobody thought about this before. He said something like that econ optimization should be always applicable to human behavior. So it's kind of funny like that a guy says something that was so obvious, so common sense like that nobody like thought about that before. It was a little bit more than that because Gary Backer, he uses some of his um some of his best words, some of the highest capacities of econ research um to to um you know, like to pitch his idea. Uh, if I'm not, yeah. Gary Becker, he created the crime and punishment paper, which you can find it for free at the MBER page. And it's pretty much like one of this, the, the, the ways he used to pitch this idea was through trying to calculate uh, statistical probabilities on uh, agents, actually not agents, sorry, uh, like people to commit crimes. It sounds kind of absurd, but in a, in a academic specter and with his math literacy, he was really able to pitch that horse and he was really recognized for this. I'll put a link in the description below so you guys can check it out. I'll advice you like this is more like an economist kind of paper because the the literature is quite specific with all the jargons the math it's kind of advanced so if you have patience for reading this it's an interesting read but if you're not just you know search it on youtube and you see some insightful videos talking about him i think that should be enough um and gary becker was able to you know pitch this horse and people started taking a little bit more serious but i think it was until Herbert Simon, he started talking about the limitations of, of rationality and the limitations of human beings of taking decisions. And also with Tversky and Kamen talking about uh, that econ agents, they act on heuristics that people started really taking it seriously. And especially after the 2008 crisis that we started seeing that many of the econ problems that we have sometimes they're just caused by human behavior you know and some of the most basic ones like uh, mismanagement um, emotions i think if you're if you work with financial markets or if you have some kind of experience of financial markets or even if you just read 
about financial markets as a hobby, you will see daily that the financial markets are always influenced by people's behaviors. Like, and that's really interesting because just like the market sentiment, it's able to change the price of things uh, from a split second, literally. If you're a trader, you really know what I'm saying. Like, traders spend their entire day just, you know, chasing that high. <laughs> Anything that happens, or chasing that low in that case, like the lowest price, uh, they spend an entire day just looking to to swings in the market, which are draw, drove by, you know, the entire market sentiment of what people think will happen, will not happen. So it's really, it's really cool that we have this modern approach of looking at economics through a more humanistic way. Um, one of the things that I really like about economics and why I chose economics and finance is because, in my opinion, it just like it sums up some of the best parts of social sciences and some of the best parts of math and um, the exact sciences, and it creates this kind of artistic way of analyzing human behavior. Um, but yeah, guys, like one of the other things that um, I like to talk about with this uh, entire, you know, a mix with behavior economics and behavior finance, it was that this was this also came not just because people thought it was cool to say that things happen because human emotions affected everybody already knew this. But I think what really kick off the behavior econ and behavior finance uh, subgenre, it was that um, it was I can like like it came down with like some experimental, um, you know, papers and some real lab uh, experiments and guys like Chamberlain and Vernon Vernon L Smith, uh, Nobel Prize winners. They they made um, interesting, really cool, um, really cool experiments on markets through some lab experiences so no i'm not talking about like getting like <laughs> like in some other sciences like getting a, a mouse and putting him through a maze but they did found some empirical methods of testing some of their assumptions and then behavior economics behavior finance started to get more accepted in a academic level and also in a corporative level and we will see much more things, really cool things coming out from this subgenre of economics and finance. And in my opinion, actually, I think it will be one of the one of the subgenres in economics that will have the highest evolution to come because we already have like some um, subgenres inside the genre. I'll say some micro genres like uh, neuroeconomics that people are actually, there's like economists that study neurology. So uh, imagine the, the complexity of this, like economists that study the brain and they create um, experiments and theories based on neural activity and economic activity. So uh, we will see a lot of things that are really cool coming out and really uh, tangible evidences that will be coming out in the future. And in my opinion as well, like any, every economist should be studying uh, behavior economics and finance despite 
his or hers um, area, field of, of, you know, profession, like macro, micro, sustainable economics, financial economics, uh, international economics, whatever. Like in the end, we cannot forget that the economy, finance, they're all made of humans. So we have to like understand humans and later understand the system or understand the system or humans, it doesn't matter, but we have to understand both simultaneously. So we understand what is actually happening in the, in the large scheme of things. Well, guys, I think this is it for our intro episode. Um, I, I hope it was not too boring in the beginning, but I had to go through some of these, um, you know, basic concepts and the basic history because it is important for us to understand how economics came to be and how uh, the science has been evolving. Um, it's kind of also overwhelming, especially if you're in the profession, to know that a lot of things that we still see and we still experiment on and we still work on, they're actually really old. And they're, you know, theories that came down from the 19th and early 20th century. So... Behavior economics comes as um, probably like this um, hope at the end of the tunnel, like the light at the end of the tunnel that economists were searching for so long because, um, you know, like I said, it's always been uh, trying to be formalized like, like physics or something like this. And now we're taking a more uh, human approach and also a more pragmatic approach because, I mean, Yes, some of the equations are necessary and some of the equations are cool, but um, should we be wasting time doing uh, math problems or should we be wasting our time uh, analyzing and experimenting about human behavior? So that's a big question that I'll leave you guys on this episode so you guys can contemplate about this because I think especially if you're an economist, that is something you should really give a lot of thought. All right, guys, so this is it for today's episode. We will continue the series, and next episode, I'll talk about some of the basic concepts and theories because uh, today was just more like a presentation, but I'll walk you guys through some of the interesting things I was talking about, like the heuristic theories and all the things that Tversky and Kamen wrote about, and um, I'll recommend some books too so you guys can check it out in the show notes. Uh, it's important for you guys to like stay informed and stay um, you know, up to date for some of these episodes because or else you guys are not going to understand what the heck am I speaking. But I think this intro is also to present people in a more diplomatic and less um, overwhelming way. Uh, one of the objectives of the Econ Hangover podcast is to make this accessible to a lot of people that don't have the opportunity for studying economics and finance because of various constraints. So uh, the idea here is for you to just, you know, whenever you have like 30 minutes free, either when you're like driving to work uh, or you're like just having a coffee, you pop on your headphones and you turn, you turn in here at the econ hangover and you get your daily dose or your two weeks dose in this case. Uh, of economics and finance so you can become more savvy and whatever you need and 
And I guess that's it. Guys, if you're also liking the Econ Hangover podcast, I please ask you guys to follow me in my Twitter at Econ Hangover. I'll put also my address of my Twitter in the show notes below. You can also follow me at my Instagram, my personal Instagram, at just underscore charming underscore triple seven. I'll put that in my show notes as well. I'm also planning to create a uh, Instagram for the Econ Hangover page. I just need some more time. I'm reaching the end of the year. I got some things that I got to close up, but it will calm down eventually. So you guys can follow just a page because like my personal Instagram is just like me and <laughs> you'll see some of the things that are like I do in my daily life, which is pretty much irrelevant for you guys. But I mean, I'm just giving it away there. So if for some reason you guys want to keep the contact and um and you guys should also check it out matches the guy from the music from the intro page give him some love at youtube at soundcloud and let's help some of these artists to rise up a little bit more all right guys thank you very much please hit the like button in your spotify and subscribe to the econ hangover podcast Thank you and have a great week. Bye-bye.